Hello and welcome. This is the Growth Strategy Podcast. My name is Steve Pugh and each week I kind of introduce you to interesting people I think will help your business or career. Uh, Jerome today is no different and we'll jump into his story and his business and what they do and that kind of thing. And just to answer the question, Jerome, that you just asked then, uh, most of the companies that I kind of uh, have in my network are in offshore energy, manufacturing, most of which in the UK. Um, but I tell you what, I'll jump into the conversation. I'll bring you in. And then we'll start from there. Sounds good. So, Jerome, now you're live and everyone can hear you. Uh, would you like to say hi to everyone? Hey. Hi, everyone. Uh, brilliant. So, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah. I'm uh, Jeroen Korthout. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Salesflare. And Salesflare is an easy-to-use uh, sales CRM for small businesses. So, there's a lot of CRMs out there. So, people obviously don't know anymore where to look. But if you have to place us, um, we um, help small and medium-sized businesses with uh, organizing their sales funnel in a better way, in a way that you can actually like follow up a lot of leads at scale as if every uh, relationship is a personal one. And where we make the difference technically, uh, like as a product, is that it's, it's all built on top of existing data. So as a salesperson, okay. you don't have that that drag of always have to fill out your CRM. And if you don't do it, the data is not there. Uh, Salesforce does that for you. Oh, cool. So with the Growth Strategy podcast and live stream, what we tend to do each week is explore your journey. And mm -hmm. the reason we do that is because you have a lot of aspiring uh, entrepreneurs, many of whom in the tech sector. So we have a lot of synergies there. That's why I think people would be really interested to learn your kind of story. Mm -hmm. But then actually every business has uh, sales, or well, it should do. Uh, and then one of the things that I would definitely recommend is almost it is the good tracking CRM follow-ups, the whole process, which I think we can share a lot of value on today. So before we kind of jump into the business and what the kind of business does, would you be happy to share a bit about your backstory? Where are you from originally and how did you end up almost uh, starting your own company? Yeah, uh, make a long story short, I'm because uh, I'm 35 already, so I'm going <laughs> to um is uh, i was born in um a little town upstate new york uh of uh, belgian parents um there's nothing american about me apart from where i was born uh, we moved back when i was i think about eight months or something uh we lived in different places mainly in belgium uh, belgium uh, there's a part that speaks flemish that's mm -hmm. where my family is from but we also lived in the in the part that speaks french and we moved a bit back and forth. My dad used to work at uh, Philips, uh, which is a big Dutch. Um, well, everybody knows Philips, I guess. Um, and I grew up most of my life, like just about half an hour of the headquarters of Philips, but in Belgium, because it, the headquarters of Philips is just across the border. Uh, my mom is an architect. My dad is, a, is an engineer, uh, but always used to lead uh, research organizations all his life. Now he's responsible for... Uh, the open manufacturing campus in Turnhout, but <laughs> whatever, an old Philips site that is now opened up to small companies for them to, to gear up their production and all that. Mm -hmm. um, and I always liked uh, building stuff. Mm -hmm. That was always sort of my passion and bringing that to people. So I was brought up in a way that um, I was, I was made to be an engineer, you know, <laughs> like, like you're, you're going to be an engineer. Uh, but I never really felt like the um, 
the pure engineering job or something for me. See, this like is I, interesting because I know we don't necessarily know each other that well, mm -hmm. but I'm also a mechanical engineer. And when I was at university and I went to a place called Sheffield in England, um, that I was always very good at the leadership management, creative business side. But I also knew that the technical side of being an engineer wasn't really for me. So I empathize mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 I saw that you're, that you're, I'm, 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 uh, uh, to place me as an engineer, uh, for engineers, I'm an electrotechnical engineer and then my minor, I did business management because I, I knew from, from the start, I, I want to, when I was 15, 16, I, I basically, I, I, I built websites for people. Uh, I had a little uh, secondhand cell phone business. I was always more attracted by the business side and the engineering side, although the engineering side, I think it's super helpful, uh, if you want to understand all the technicalities mm -hmm. of stuff. And it does help me now, now that I'm in software, uh, because I, for instance, had courses like databases and stuff, which is super helpful now. Um, but still, um, in my master's, in the end, I did biomedical engineering. Okay. Because that felt very uh, impactful. And I could also learn new stuff. I had a lot of medical courses as well. Um, but then when I started looking for jobs, I didn't really find anything that clicked. At some point, I remember I was at a a medical 3D printing company. And um, I was there for a job that was sort of like product manager, but product manager on the very technical end. Okay. And I'm like, I would like to do something more with customers. So this, ah, oh, that's project manager. Well, well, we can have a look. And then uh, I did a little test. I think I stayed for an hour longer. They made me do a test and they decided I was not a good project manager. <laughs> uh, and it was that evening I was so frustrated that I um, I, I used the, business, the the credit card of a friend and um, we paid for a test for business school. Um, and I ended up going uh, one year to uh, Vleric Business School's business school in, uh, in the Benelux. Um, and I did a master in general management there, which then sort of enabled me to switch over from biomedical engineering to uh, marketing and pharma, okay. <laughs> it seems like a funny switch. Um, but the but... thing is, if I can jump in on that point, mm -hmm. is that I think most people have a skill set, but you might be inherently good with people, and you always have been. And yes, you went on a technical route, which taught you a lot of skills. And one of the things that I find and I get told is that almost because of my engineering background, I'm very good at understanding information, which is obviously good for business. But then mm -hmm. kind of distilling it down to make it simple, so there's a lot of skills. And then I guess what you've done is just transfer those skills, yes, via a course, but into a new area. But you probably always yeah. had it inherently in you, you know, to kind of go that route. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do agree. Engineering is very much about seeing something complex and then trying to uh, reduce it to... Uh, First to, principles. Yeah, principles. Uh, a bit less than perhaps physics or so, yeah. uh, where physics is very much theoretical there. Um, engineering does that in real life, you could say, and, and build something from there, which is which is what connects to, I think, what we both do. Uh, it's, it's building stuff and, and making it simple and understandable for, understandable for people, making systems, uh, making experiences, uh, this kind of stuff. So can I ask, did you have the itch or the desire to start the business before you went to business school? Or did you yeah. discover that passion like during the course? 
No, I already had that uh, that passion when I was uh, like building these websites and selling secondhand cell phones, and I always saw myself growing something. And and business school was uh, for me the way of, to get more into that path. Although when I started business school, uh, I remember I sold it to the admissions board, something like I want to be a CTO at a big company or something like that. But during business school, again, I rediscovered that I wanted to start a company. Mm -hmm. Now, why did I then end up in marketing and pharma uh, after that? Is because I figured like, I don't have the experience yet. Maybe if I join a big company, uh, uh, put put a few products in the market, be responsible for that, I will get how that all works. Um, Now, that was a very disappointing experience in the end, uh, because that was not at all what I did. I didn't have a lot of responsibility (laughs) in that respect. Like I was just a cog in a machine uh, making uh, brochures and uh, telling salespeople how to use these brochures and stuff like that. I didn't really put something in the market, um, but it, it was a good first step towards what I then did afterwards. So I don't. I think that's a really important it. step is that often you, it's often in the bad jobs that you really learn what your passions are and what drives you to almost put you on the right path. So often it's never a bad thing to have jobs which aren't right for you because at least you know what not to follow. Yeah. So then how did you, you know, do you want to tell people about Salesflare? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll first, maybe still the last to connect everything. Um, the, the job I did after that marketing and pharma job, uh, I was responsible for um, helping pharma companies uh, set up uh, digital in all kinds of ways. Uh, it went from, uh, in the beginning, it was a lot of building websites. In the end, we were selling full, uh, like we called it, multi-channel marketing campaigns where we basically replaced the sales force with a whole lot of digital touches uh, because nowadays doctors, they don't really like uh, feel like they need sales uh, representatives in their, in their um, waiting room anymore. They can read what they want on the internet. Yep. And also the pharma industry has been sending way too many to them. Um, so we helped pharma companies sort of make that shift. And it was there that I also, like you said, I had a lot of experiences in different companies, uh, feeling uh, what I liked and what I didn't like in companies. Uh, in some companies, uh, in, in two or yeah, two, I worked also on site part-time to, to help them make a digital transformation. And I remember in one of them, I absolutely felt horrible because of the, um, the, um, the culture in the company. Um, so that also taught me a lot about how I, when I start a business and in the end, how I want that culture to, to function. Now to bridge to Salesflare, uh, what you asked. So in my previous job, I worked a lot with Salesforce. Uh, I used that in projects with customers, but I also uh, had to use it uh, myself to keep track of like what opportunities do we have in the pipeline with which companies and all that. Now, when I started using Salesforce, I imagined it to be that system in which I would like keep track of everything. Like I would, I would manage my sales pipeline. Um, and I really tried to use it for that reason, but it's, I just didn't manage. It's, it's, it's very clunky is a lot of data, but it, it, it doesn't feel like it's built. For instance, I, I was using Wunderlist on the one end, which mm-hmm. is now Microsoft to do, 
do very simple, beautiful task app. And then I came to Salesforce and they made this like this forms where I had to fill out completely, make the task in them. And I completed it. It said, please make another task, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, oh, how do people work with this? And um, actually in general, this was something I noticed. Um, none of my colleagues use it for that reason. We were all purely using it for management reporting reasons. Um, and I felt that was a huge missed opportunity. And I didn't do anything with that insight for a few years until um, with my co-founder now, we were, uh, we, we went to a conference in Vegas. Uh, it was a business intelligence software company. Uh, we, we, we had a lot of leads for our software and we tried to manage that. We tried to build a system uh, and we tried different CRM systems because, well, that's what they're for, right? Um, and we, we figured that all of these systems failed. They failed for us because, not because it was not nice software or something, but just because uh, the software was dependent on us and the software was expecting us to be some sort of uh, perfect uh, data input robots. We would like input every single thing that we did uh, minutiously in the system. And then we would find it all back there after our hard work. Uh, that didn't happen, never. Um, and even if you if you drop discipline or or the, the quality or whatever, just a little bit, then it started failing because you couldn't rely on the data anymore. Um, it's the whole garbage in, garbage out. And yeah. just knowing a lot of, I'm, I'm a salesman myself, I guess mm -hmm. most entrepreneurs are, but actually a lot of people don't like reporting and filling in systems. So I completely understand exactly where you're coming from. I think it's very true in the UK and with people I kind of know as well. Yeah. So what, what we then saw is that it, 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 it is even weirder because actually what we're doing is we're, we're, we're going in one system, like, like I'm sending an email to you and I'm going in, into the other system called the CRM system. And I'm saying, oh, I said to send an email to Steve. And then uh, I, I see that you reply back to me and I'm like, oh, there's an email signature of Steve. Oh, it has his phone number. I'll take that phone yeah. number and put it in the CRM. So it, it feels like there's data in this system. And then there's this other system that I use next to it. And somehow there's no connection. There's no intelligence. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. So we saw this system that basically uh, sits on top of all the data that already exists in your mailbox, in your calendar, in your phone social media, company databases, email and web tracking, and just automatically uh, pulls that data together, offers it to you and makes that you get the information and can curate it because you, you might not want everything in your CRM. Mm -hmm. So you can say, okay, yeah, I want to create this company. It automatically says, oh, it seems like, you know, that person and that person and that person. By the way, we already got the information about these people here. Which ones do you want to add? I say this one, this one, this one. Mm -hmm. This one I don't want to add the timeline automatically fills up because we see that in your inbox, your calendar, your phone. Um, and like that, the system uh, keeps track of stuff for you uh, rather than you having to do that very manual um, manual thing. So, and, and that way we can then actually make sure that CRMs um, fulfill their, their, their purpose, yeah. which is helping you follow up your pipeline perfectly uh not disappointing any customers along the way uh, making the maximum amount of revenue that you can make from the leads you get and then everything else like management reporting and stuff just flows from there as long as you have a tool that helps you sell mm -hmm. uh no, there's a lot of benefits that come from there because if salespeople don't do it 
yeah everything falls apart and because what i was going to say is that it almost it gives more time for the salesman to sell you know it mm -hmm. saves them the back office stuff which historically they don't like to do that you know if you ask most salespeople what part of their job do they enjoy the least and it would be the admin the reporting etc but the the bigger the machine the bigger the business the more cogs you have spinning that it gets more difficult to manage and that's where a crm really kind of comes in no mm -hmm. it's a, I, I i get it i understand it i you know i empathize so how long has the business been running now um officially a bit more than six years but we are the idea when we had it like like that was six and a half years ago oh cool so how would you be happy to almost share your journey the past six years and the the reason why i ask is that it's when you know this can help inspire a whole new generation of people going through their own journey mm -hmm. it's just it's when you can also look back because this will be saved on youtube in 10 years time when mm -hmm. you're a, a multi-billionaire and actually you can see the journey so it's always good to kind of document it. but i'd love to know how you went from getting started with your co-founder through to yeah. kind of where you are now yeah I'll, I'll i'll obviously summarize a bit um because yeah <laughs> very often when you when you sort of hear these stories they're uh, summarized to such an extent that it seems like whoa everything just happened <laughs> um to give you a bit of an idea it was in um april may 2014 we were working on that other company where when we had this idea um and the other co-founder that company sort of it was getting a bit enough of it. Uh, I wanted to go back more to consulting and we stumbled upon this and we were very excited about it. And we started thinking. And um, one of the first things uh, we saw was that, um, well, we need to be able to spend a lot of time on it. Mm -hmm. So somehow we, we need money from somewhere. Um, and we started looking on the internet and there was this thing called Kima 15 from Kima Ventures at the time. I think Kima Ventures still exists, Kima 15 doesn't. And for 15% of your company, um, they would give you 150K in 15 days. So it would be all very quick, was a dream. Um, and we started reading and they said like, okay, we, we prefer companies that follow the book Getting Real by 37 Signals, Jason Fried and stuff. Um, so we read that book. Uh, it was very interesting about a bit of the, the a leader approach to starting a company. Um, not building the whole software immediately, but starting with something very small and going from there. Um, so what I did was I made a presentation uh, for, for Kima, uh, 10 slides, I think, or maybe 12, uh, with uh, our, our vision and how we're going to attack it. I'm very brief. And uh, my co-founder, Levin, he made, um, he made um, a prototype that mm -hmm. we could show to people. Just mm -hmm. something, the, the smallest possible thing which we could make, it, it didn't even do anything, but we could show it to people and sell the dream. Yeah. yeah. So we did that initially. Um, Kima said we were too early stage uh, okay. when they got our uh, application, which was true. We were very early stage. <laughs> and, uh, but from there we applied to an incubator and accelerator. Um, and it was when we got in this incubator that we were together with a lot of startups um, that that was amazing. It, uh, it, it, it helped us a lot to learn from others what they were doing and how it could move forward quicker. Um, and as a sort of sidetrack in the beginning, we thought, well, marketing a CRM is going to be hard or a mm -hmm. sales platform or whatever we had in mind. Uh, let's maybe build something easy first, launch that and then go from there. And we made a document tracking system 
uh, and we launched that and we got into press and stuff and got quite some people on it. Um, but it was sort of it delayed our our, our uh, development of the of the CRM obviously because for two months we were working on that. If 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 I would do it all over again, I probably would have skipped that part. Okay. Um, and then we got into an accelerator, which was good because what we had been doing up till then um, was uh, we were sort of selling the dream to everyone, and then everybody would say like would start picking the dream apart, like. Have you thought about this? And have you thought about that? Um, what we didn't do was going about it in a systematic way, which we started doing when, when we got in the accelerator was really like doing customer interviews is like um, making a conscious um, mapping of who do we want to interview, mm -hmm. uh, which sectors, which size of companies, which positions, um, what are the things we want to understand from them? Um, and then um, organize that in a in a CRM pipeline mm -hmm. and just go like like interview as many as possible. Uh, and at the end of every conversation, like ask which other people should we interview. And I interviewed about forty people, I think, at that point. Um, and the conversations were about so you do sales, what do you sell? What are the issues with sales? How do you software in your sales process? And what are issues with software? to summarize very, very mm -hmm. briefly, which gave us a very good idea of what was going wrong and what our software should do. Uh, but it also uh, made that uh, we had a lot of opinions we had, which yeah. we had to yeah. uh, unite. And at the start, that's very hard. Like as soon as you get started and you start getting feedback and you, you, and you have a sort of a solid feeling of where you're going, then it's much easier to say, okay, this is lower priority, this is higher priority. But when you're at the beginning, it's very hard to then take all that and um, reunite it into your vision. And we had issues with that, uh, I would say for a few months to then really figure out like, where is this going? Um, but then we started building, this was around end of 2014. It took us a, a year, I think it, it took us four months until we had something that people could use. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to use it. <laughs> and then a few months later, I think there was one guy probably actively using it next to me. And then a few months from there, um, we got somewhere in the press. It was a marketing fact, Sotonel, a Dutch, uh, Dutch online magazine. Uh, and they described us as some um, some CRM that filled out itself, a living thing. And we got a call from a, from a, a Dutch guy with a with a with a rather big IT company, and he said, "Well, I read this article. I have this huge issue with my Microsoft Dynamics here. Like my salespeople are really not using it. And I I read that your thing is new, but it might solve my issue. Uh, and that's uh, that was our first customer. Okay. Um, but by then we were end of 2015 already. So how how big is the company now? How many you know how big is your client base? Uh, we're now more around two thousand plus companies using wow. the software. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, and, but and it, it goes slowly at the beginning. So we went. I think the end of the year was three, and then the next year we ended with twenty or thirty, maybe. And then you know it's a it's a long journey to develop that. But that's still it's great to share that knowledge so that if someone was to start their own tech company don't expect within the first year to have 2000 companies it might be 3 20 200 2000 you know it could be a hockey stick and it's yeah. good to kind of prove it can i ask you because you have some quite famous and quite large uh, competitors 
that I guess mm-hmm. you compete against. How do you do your market positioning? So how do you, is your tagline, actually I think it's very clever, like the CRM that, um, you know, fills itself. How do you position yourself to compete against people's like Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics and that kind of thing? Yeah, uh, versus Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics, it's not too hard because these are um, like enterprise CRMs. Um, basically, people know they're big and bulky and people want something simpler. That's that's extremely easy. Uh, more closely, we have competitors like HubSpot and Pipedrive. Okay. Um, there, it's more about the, the filling out itself. And, and it's, the, um, it's the fact that, that Salesforce is built specifically for that purpose, whereas these other systems are built in such a way that it was manual first and now they start syncing in some stuff, but it's not built with the principle in mind that everything should be automated. So the, the flows are always like, it's, it's still manual with some automated stuff. Um, and also we make it simpler, not just more automated and it's across devices. Uh, you will get a better experience as well. And every, we have built in some stuff like automated uh, email sequences and all that straight into the CRM. Um, there's a there's a few points of, especially if you compare with the one CRM or the other CRM, it's it's always a bit different. Um, but we focus very much on the the easiness and the and the automation. Now, I think it's super interesting because again, when you have to position your product against other people. It's almost what makes you special, what makes you unique. And it sounds like you've really kind of nailed that. And then likewise, as someone that's used these systems in the past, it's either they're, if they're too difficult to use or too onerous, people just don't use them. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you've really, you know, every business and every product wants to solve a need. So by the sounds of it, you've kind of done that. Um, before we came on the call, when I asked you if I could ask you this question, just because I think it's always interesting about how people promote their own businesses. Mm-hmm. I think it was your colleague, Kerry, reached out to me. Yeah. And without kind of leading the question, how do you raise awareness about your business, what you do to kind of really get the word out? Because by the sounds of it, that one magazine article got you your first customer. And actually it's mm-hmm. now in 2020. How do you promote your business? Yeah, I think you're leading on to podcasts. No? Well, I am. But <laughs> when I clip <laughs> this up, people won't see my bit. So it's cool. But uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so so the the main ways in which we get customers is uh, one uh, word of mouth. It's uh, current customers telling others. Um, it's a it's an important way of growing. A second one is people looking for us uh, mainly in Google or in review sites, uh, and then finding us somewhere. Uh, and third is our content marketing. Mm-hmm. Our content marketing is on topics related to Salesforce. Works the best. We get a lot of traffic on things that are not very related to Salesforce, more related to the audience. Uh, but the best content for lead generation is the one that is most closely related to Salesforce because then we basically show Salesforce while we're explaining a certain topic and how it can help. Um, Now, next to that, uh, this year we started um, also experimenting more with going outside our own audience, um, which is where podcasts partly comes into play. Um, Earlier this year, when the beginning of the pandemic, um, there were a ton of uh, speaking opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was it was crazy the amount of online events. So I've done quite some um, some speaking. Um, now since the summer or so, uh, we started focusing more on podcasts. Uh, the beauty about podcasts is that um, 
first of all in this speaking engagements i don't get a whole lot of time to explain what we're yeah. doing yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm i'm really focused on adding value here it's sort of double uh, there's a part where I explain why we started Salesflare, and and that's enough for me. I don't need to speak more about Salesflare. It's just you know, and that's that's it's it's the sales pitch basically. But but with the the thing that I like about long form content, and especially mm -hmm. this being video, etc., is because I never talk to people where it's just a sales pitch. I don't like that. I don't like it personally. No. I don't consume it. But what you do over the course of a conversation is you get a feel for the other person, their background, their story, whether you buy into it but also you can share a lot of the nuance and the detail in a way that you can't really do in words. Yeah. Um, and just from a separate point of view to kind of throw my angle on it is that for me, when you interview people or for you the other way around on podcasts, it's a way for you to be exposed to someone else's network. And it's just, it's like a spider diagram where you can hit lots of different people and really yeah. just get the word out there. So no, I, I appreciate the the honesty, and but likewise, I I always I'm always very candid with the people that follow my kind of channel. That I tell them how I do stuff, how the setup, and actually, yeah. because that's the value that they they want, so that they can kind of try and do it themselves. Yeah, your setup looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm 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 pretty jealous of it. Um, well, I, I have a podcast myself, and and I I very much identify with what you said. Like it's for me, it's it's mostly about. The networking. I mean, it's also content on our blog, but it's not the most popular content or so, <laughs> by far, not the most popular content. Um, it's just a great opportunity to talk to people that I normally wouldn't have the opportunity to talk to. Uh, like I, for instance, had Jason Freed's mm -hmm. uh, on the podcast, which was amazing, and I can ask, I can ask him whatever I want. So that's great, right? Um, but say on and, that topic is that with so I when. Are you in Belgium at the moment? I think. Yeah, yeah, currently in Belgium. So when uh, lockdown in the UK happened for the first time, where they were, you were told just don't leave the house, mm -hmm. I think it was March, in, in, whenever it was. It was March, yeah. Yeah. And I remember being at home and Zoom was a new thing, completely new to me, never used it before. And it was almost when you do, you know, as a marketer, pestle analysis, when you're looking at big political or social trends that just change the way the world works. And coronavirus made so many people go online that mm -hmm. actually for me, I saw the opportunity to pivot with live streaming, podcasting, etc. So from when lockdown started, I learned all of this from scratch. And this is only my second interview, my new setup. And I've realized that when the sun comes out, I get overexposed. So I'll tweak it next time. But it's, for me, it's the continuous improvement to just try and, try and get better and better and better. Um, that, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs just, it's the confidence to try things. And again, hear mm -hmm. what works for other people, I think is really kind of interesting. I yeah, am very conscious definitely. of your time and that kind of thing, because you're a very kind of busy man. Can I ask you what the dream is for the business? The dream. Um... So, so I, I kind of explained our um, reasons behind things uh, already. Um, what is most um, painful for me is, is disappointing a customer because we forgot to follow them up and they didn't get the, uh, the service they expected, uh, something we find very important. Um, and if the software does not properly do that, uh, that's just very disappointing. It's building these relationships at scale mm -hmm. that's hard mm -hmm. if you know like building building a relationship with your wife might already be hard but imagine doing it with tens of people at the same time 
uh, that's that's even harder. Uh, obviously, it's not the same level of relationship, but uh, but still, and there's there's some some sort of uh, skill to it that you cannot manage without a system. Um, and you could you could build a system for yourself, but uh, if someone else can build it for you, that's easier, right? Uh, especially if it if it holds a lot of automation. So that's where we come in. Um, where I see this going in the uh, the long run. Mm-hmm. Is that as uh, we've automated so much data, uh, there's so much information out there now in sales there about who is this person, at which company does it work with, which other people do we know, what's our connection strength with these people, who do, who else in my team knows people there, w- what kind of touches did we have with them, when did they go to the site? You know, everything uh, is building up in such a, a extensive way that when we have all this data. Uh, and there will be more opportunities to get in more data because, for instance, now you're video calling as well. Video calling is digital. We can pull in, you know, it, it, it is going to be a part of things uh, pretty soon, I think. Um, all this data makes that computer scan more and more take over stupid things that we do, like routine things and analyzing data and things, things we aren't necessarily good at as humans. Um, so that it can assist us in to, to fulfill this purpose better and better and better. Uh, so that in the end, you, you can just jump on the Zoom call, uh, look at look at what Salesforce has to say, uh, says, oh, this and that. And um, it just, you focus on that call, uh, you get on the next one. Maybe you have a little preparation, but, uh, um, and then, Salespeople can focus all their time where they are most valuable, mm-hmm. uh, which is having a chat. So like, what is your issue? How can we solve it? Is, is our system the best one for it or another one? Maybe do we need to hook up systems with each other? What's it going to cost? Uh, you know, guiding them. Do we need to give a training? Uh, like really guiding people um, towards the right solutions and helping them uh, buy them and all that. Oh, cool. Um, so as we mentioned kind of before the call within my kind of interviews is that there are kind of two general questions that I ask everyone. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, I think this is the most valuable piece of content because it's a way that people get, you know, a lot of value very quickly. And the first is what is the best piece of advice you've ever had? Um, I could cite a lot of stuff right now, Uh, but let me select one immediately. Um, I would say probably, and this is because I, I had on my podcast a, a conversation about yesterday as well, pretty extensive, um, is um, as, a, as a, an entrepreneur, I think if I, if I would ever write a book of how to be successful as an entrepreneur, or at least n- not to fail, is that the first chapter would be about taking care of yourself. Okay, um, It would be, it's, it's something that first-time entrepreneurs or when you just start, it's very hard. Uh, because you, you're not in it for long, you're super excited and you tend to completely overwork yourself and ignore everything else. Uh, at least that, that was my experience. Um, it's, it, it starts with uh, properly sleeping, really building up rules around that and making sure that your sleep is, is holy. Uh, make sure that, uh, I mean, it, it defines so much of your day. If you had a bad night's sleep, the day is... Uh, you know, shit. Um, 
and then uh, a few other things uh, yeah eating properly uh, doing some physical exercise uh, it can help a lot to to feel better and to properly treat your body uh, it's um, organizing yourself uh, in such a way that you you know your priorities for the day you know priorities for the week you know priorities for the month perhaps um, it's it's in these small things uh, because it, entrepreneurship is is a long journey and uh, you going through it in the most chaotic unhealthy way uh, yeah. will not will not work and it and also even your it will be very hard to grow your business um, one of my previous guests a guy called matt that runs a media company in a place called middlesbrough in the uk mm-hmm. he said the same thing and it was all to do with why because you know we probably expect to be in business for 20 years or more don't treat it like a sprint treat it like a marathon pace yourself sleep so for instance i go to bed before nine o'clock every day get some proper rest in i try and fit exercise in when i can and then you balance between when you've got big projects you're trying to get out i might focus more on the business mm-hmm. but then actually if you get a bit of breathing time then work on the fitness but just to, you know consciously get the rest in, get the sleep in and just try and maintain a high level definitely and the next question i was going to ask and actually it's been really interesting to kind of hear your story is that if you were to give advice to your younger self and it can be any age, any point in your life or career, what would it be? Um, I think I would, I would, I would go for, um, take, take, taking it even slower. I mean, it, it sort of aligns with what I just said. Uh, but in, in, in entrepreneurial journey, we often get very nervous about going too slow because you see competitors going really fast and they're adding stuff and, and you know the, the the business is 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 is, is uh, like like the, the money is going to be finished and there's all kinds of stuff lots of pressure on you um what is most um dangerous is that you take uh decisions too quickly or you uh, make things evolve too quickly uh and it's and and it makes that either um there's a lot that you need to do to undo it or um, because you make a jump too quickly it makes it harder to learn how to do it better um, one of these possibilities is hiring someone too soon for a certain job um, if you don't know yet how what you're going to do there um, and you just hire someone and say figure it out uh, that's that's not how entrepreneurship works. Mm-hmm. Uh, an entrepreneur uh, always needs to find out at least the basics of how how they think it should work, and then hire someone to do it better than than they could possibly do it. Uh, but you cannot uh, hire someone to figure out the business for you. Okay. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, cool. So, is there anything you would like to plug before you go? Talk about your podcast, that kind of thing. Um, I talked about. Well, if you want to find out more about Salesflare salesflare.com it's f-l-a-r-e uh, you can start a trial at the top right there's about nine i think it says try it for free uh you get seven days to start with but then we we gamify it uh, when you when you um do stuff to set up the software you get more and more days it goes until 30 if you're alone and even more if you're a team of more people okay. uh, so you have plenty of time to try the software and if you want to connect with me uh you can do that on linkedin the best place um yeah my name there's only one person with my name so you you won't miss <laughs> um and and please include uh 
a message uh, because otherwise I won't know where you come from and I'll think you're trying to spam me with some kind of whatever. Good stuff. Cool. Well, I have added you, so hopefully you'll recognize my face now. Um, but yes, cool. Well, I really appreciate your time. It's been a really interesting talk. I'd love to explore your your journey and the process to launch you know, the software and everything you're trying to do. Um, I appreciate your time. It's been really good to Thank kind you. of share. Uh, please kind of stay in touch and hopefully I will see many more of your interviews on different platforms and stuff and just kind of track your journey as things kind of progress. Thank you. Cool. Well, this thank you for the time and I'll log out now and uh, thank you for watching. Cool. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye.